All right, welcome to Down by the Bank, proudly affiliated with Big Cat Country and tastily sponsored by Brewers Pizza, Orange Park, and Clay County's only brew pub. This is Corey. Hey, what's up, guys? This is JK3. Hey, first and foremost, we just, of course, with the recent news uh, over, uh, I guess, last night it uh, broke. We just want to send our thoughts and prayers with all the people in Las Vegas, of course, so uh, hoping uh, for the best for everybody there. Um, And then one note, uh, congratulations to our co-host, Derek, and his wife, Wendy, on the birth of their daughter, Olivia. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, Derek, congrats, man. I uh, hope everything's going well, and I hope you haven't enjoyed sleep for the last couple of weeks because you will not be getting any anytime soon. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, Olivia will immediately become a new listener, and uh, we hope that he will sign her up for an iTunes account and leave a five-star review in her name. <laughs> So um, we are uh, joined actually by a special guest. We announced this on Twitter. It's super exciting. Um, That is uh, Blythe Brumleave. Uh, She is a media and popular figure within the Jacksonville Jaguars community. Uh, She's the publisher of Guys Girl as well as MLM, Modern Logistics Marketing, and can obviously, uh, I'm sure by everybody who listens to this podcast, can be found locally. And you guys have heard her on 1010XL talking Jaguars as well as on Twitter at Blythe Brum, and I'll put that in the podcast description um, as well. So uh, Blythe, welcome to the podcast. Thank you guys for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, appreciate it. Hope you like the uh, gigantic introduction there. It's usually pretty popular. I I like when my ego gets stroked every now and then. So yes. Great. So we are (laughs) good. It worked. All right. So we are recording uh, after the uh, basically depressing and Hard fought, but depressing outcome. Uh, Jets, Jaguars lost 23 to 20 in overtime. Um, Blight's actually going to join us in place of Derek just to chat a little bit about that. And then we'll, of course, uh, maybe do a little quick interview with her as well. Um, But we are now two and two overall, tied for first in the AFC South. Um, JK3, just for kind of a quick reaction. I know I chatted with you a little bit yesterday and we were kind of in the the down and out type uh, mood. But how are you feeling today, uh, one day after? Uh, It still sucks. Uh, it still sucks and it's a little bit worse because with the losses, you try to go back and try to figure out what went wrong and try to pinpoint exactly where it went wrong and how something could have happened as opposed to a victory Monday. Everyone's like the Jags are the greatest team ever, ah, blah, 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 you know, fireball. But you know, now it's just, uh, you keep going back and trying to pick up the pieces, um, you know, for the loss and trying to figure it out. Um, the worst thing that I can say though, is I hate in team sports, when someone tries to take the loss and take the brunt of the loss of themselves, absolutely not. Marquise Lee, I'm talking to you. Pick your head up. You win as a team, you lose as a team, and that's what it is. Blythe, what are, what are your thoughts the day after? Because I know just kind of in chatting with you before you came onto the to the show that uh, you weren't exactly in the you know in the most enthusiastic mood about the outcome. I, I mean, definitely. I, I think it's sort of par for the course when it comes to this team. That this is this is one of those games that they should win, right? And you, you go into it thinking that they should win, and then they don't win. And they, you know, this is sort of the typical Jaguars where you know they, they go in and they beat a team that they probably shouldn't be. And then they lose to a team that they shouldn't lose to. And I, and I know that the old saying sort of goes, you know, if I would have told you before the season started that the Jaguars would be two and two at this point in the season, a lot of people would be very ecstatic about that. And I think that that's still true. But when you watch the game and you watch how it played out, this was a collective team loss. And it, it was frustrating to still be in it. At towards the very end, the game obviously went into overtime and then to see them sort of just because of the penalties and because of different play calling, they, they just couldn't pull out the win. Yeah, it was disappointing. I mean, my wife and I, we were at Burrito Gallery actually for the first half and 
our waiter who was pretty cool, he just kept mentioning how he had uh, this false optimism and, and false hope. And I was like, man, this is we're playing a bad team. We're going to win. All right. Why don't you just drop the negative act? Uh, it's disappointing for sure. But um, at least, like I said, in terms of it being a hard fought win, one of the things my wife did say that I agreed with was that I can't be too bummed out because this is a little bit different than years past where we're actually competitive. And it comes down to the to the, the last play of the game, which is is good. It's progress, but I think a lot of us uh, were expecting a much easier win. Um, one guy, and, and JK3, you kind of mentioned it with Marquise Lee. He kind of pointed himself out on Twitter, uh, stating, sorry, Duval, for sure my fault. While we took this L, we'll be better next week. Um, you say the team is ultimately responsible, but Blythe, I'll start with you with Marquise Lee. Um, how do you feel about that comment? I mean, is it, is it right for him to try to take ownership of it? And maybe is he to blame for the loss? I mean, if he takes it and spends it in a way that he can sort of get more out of his play in the future, the only thing I worry about that, that this kind of, I guess, uh, mental prison, I guess is what you could call it. Whenever somebody takes the, the the full brunt of a loss is that, is that going to feed into the next game? Is he going to be sort of his own worst enemy mentally when it, it comes to playing the Steelers, you know, this coming up weekend or, or in games in the future when the, the game is on the line and you want to be the go-to guy, there's, there's a sense of, can you rise to that challenge or are you going to falter under it? And, and I think it's unfortunate that it happened to a guy like Lee who you really want you know, he's the albino tiger and you want him to, to really shine, especially in the wake of, of Allen Robinson succumbing to a season, season ending injury. But on the other hand, it's, it's, it's not all one guy's fault, but you kind of also admire the fact that he is going to take the brunt of that loss instead of, you know, in the past where we've seen, you know, finger pointing going around with this team. JK3, he had the crucial drop at the five minute mark in overtime was hit really right on the money by, by Blake, who, uh, you know, struggled a little bit in that game, misplayed the punt return at 206, which was a little uh, unnerving for sure. Um, but you seem to be pretty pretty solid in the camp of he shouldn't be too hard on himself. But it does show statistically that he didn't exactly contribute to the to the team winning. I mean, if we're talking about stats, let's look at, um, and Bonehead plays, look at Aurelius Ben, holding call, uh, and then also a block in the back as well on a, on a crucial, when we're in the, in the middle of overtime, uh, obviously play, playing a game of battleship, like a, like a, a position you know, uh, you know, playing the uh, the field position game. We've got Northman who's pinning them deep. Um, our defense is playing solid, and then you know we get a crucial block in the back penalty that moves the ball a little bit forward. And even beyond that point, a, a, a holding call that had nothing to do with the play. Fournette was going to run that dude into the ground. He was literally going to take that dude on whatever train they have in the subway cities in in New York, and and literally run that dude into the next week. So. I mean, if we're looking at those kind of penalties and those little, you know, plays and that, you got to put Aurelius Ben in that category also. Yeah, and that is a good point. I mean, there, there's plenty, any kind of loss like this, you can go back and find plenty of reasons that contributed to the loss in the same way if a kicker loses based on a missed field goal at the end. You know, you, you can't necessarily always just blame the kicker. But speaking of uh, boneheaded plays, one thing that still drives me crazy, and it's and it's specifically because he's so tall and such a big guy, you wouldn't think it would happen as often. Uh, maybe he misjudges or something, but Blake and his batted balls at the line. So first off, 13 of 35 uh, passing, 42.86 completion percentage, 140 yards, a touchdown, an interception, 52.1 quarterback rating. So obviously struggled a little bit. Um, you know, 
Blythe, did it drive you as nuts in that game as it did, I'm sure, every other person ever that's been a Jaguars fan that these passes continue to get batted down at the line, and especially in crucial situations? I mean, what do you think it is? Is it a mental block? Is he? I mean, how does he not see that this is going to happen with these big athletes in front of him? My biggest criticism of Blake is not that he, he's a gamer. He goes out there and you, you, you see him. Um you know, making, not even necessarily making tackles, but not shy of, of getting hit and, and, and making plays or trying to make plays. But he's always had an issue with a, a mental collapse during the game. And Tom Coughlin even commented on it before the season ever started. He says, once you see Blake make one pick, then they seem to start or make one interception. They seem to start to to compound on him. And, and this was a game that he could have had three or four interceptions throughout the entire game. He was lucky that a lot of them bounced in our favor or in the Jaguars' favor or that they were batted down and they weren't picked off or, or you know, he strip sack fumblers or something something along those lines. He was lucky in that regard, but Blake has this just a habit of not being able to mentally keep it together and be the leader that this team needs. And I, and I've said all throughout the off season that Blake isn't the guy we, we all know he's not the guy. And it's just a matter of, of getting through this season until we can, you know, pay a, a big time free agent and draft a quarterback in, in the first round of next year's draft. But this is just a, it, it's sort of a, before the season started, and I know it sucks to even say this at the two and two record, but it is kind of a lost season because the most important position on the field is not suitable enough to take us on a game winning drive. He hasn't proven that this, I think it was last year in the green Bay game, also in the, in the Ravens game where Blake could have led the team to a victory on the final two, one or two drives of the game. And he couldn't do it. And that to me just sort of says that he's, I don't want to call him mentally weak because you definitely have to be mentally strong to play in this league. But I just don't think that he has a, you know, a, a clear mind when it comes to the most crucial points of the game. When it comes to us and the, and the quarterback position, just to get your opinion, how do you think that we've continued to miss on Gabbert and, uh, you know, Bortles, uh, you know, these last you know couple of years, we've been able to put some decent pieces of, of athletes around the quarterback. But at the end of the day, we still keep missing on, on quarterbacks. So what do you think that we 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 do keep missing at? I, I think it's a it's a combination of a few different factors. Number one, we, we haven't sort of bought into the philosophy of team draft a quarterback every single year, just in case you can hit sort of that diamond in the rough. But it's also they they almost have a loyalty problem where they almost put too much faith into a quarterback. And and I and I've said this before, but I, I think the quarterback position is a lot like love. Like you know right away if you're in love with that person. You you know pretty much right away if you're in love with that person or if this guy is going to be your starting quarterback for the foreseeable future. We've already seen instances where you know Dak Prescott, he he's, you know, sort of a surprise draft pick. Obviously Tom Brady is the most famous one getting drafted in the 6th round. Russell Wilson is another one. Uh, all of these quarterbacks that really almost have like a a, a chip on their shoulder and I want to say that Blake sort of has and and Gabbert may have too had you know played with sort of a chip on their shoulder but it really all comes down to scouting if you're if your scouting team isn't finding these diamonds in the rough and they're finding 
you know, other questionable characters, then you really have to look at, you know, it's a a top-down approach with this organization. And I don't know that they've hit their stride yet in the new regime. I want to, I get sort of the feeling and the hints that at the end of the, you know, the Gene Smith era and and, uh, the Weavers, whenever they still had ownership of the franchise, that it was more, they were just going through the motions. And then now you have, the very first year that Khan took over, you had a new owner. And the very next year, you had a brand new rookie head coach. You had a brand new GM. You had a rookie quarterback. So you have a lot of people on the team that are inexperienced at, at, at doing the most important jobs. And so I think with Tom Coughlin coming in, in the offseason, you sort of get a feeling that, okay, well, now we have somebody that's there that knows the the the, the rules of the world or the NFL world, as it may and and you can sort of see that there are glimmers of hope on the team, but it's going to take time. And I know Jaguar fans don't want to hear that because we've been waiting 10 years for this team to make a move. But I think that when you have a veteran leader come in that that's familiar with the organization on and off the field and with the culture within the fan base and the city itself, then I think that it will it will speak to the future of the franchise now that we have a, 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 a at least a trusted source who's been there before four who can say okay well this guy's not the answer this guy's not the answer we need to do x here we need to do y there yeah i think that and i kind of agree with your point and sticking around with with uh i don't know if i'll say mistake players but players that maybe haven't worked out a little too long it kind of goes back to the uh, popular finance term uh, the terminology the sunk cost fallacy where they've kind of like gotten too emotionally invested or um you know too at least assumingly financially invested where it's harder to cut free and, and sometimes it's just better to cut your losses and just move on i mean if you know you've made a mistake, uh, don't compound your mistake by continuing to keep the bad investment, or in this case, bad quarterback further than you probably should. Good tie-in to Leonard Fournette because you think that, you know, Bortles obviously was a guy we had hoped that would become our kind of star player, uh, breakout player, uh, you know, kind of like Maurice Jones-Drew was back in the day. For some reason, in crucial situations, we are not giving him the ball. And one of the things that came up in the broadcast, and JK3, we were talking about this yesterday, is apparently the running back coach, uh, Tyrone Wheatley, handles the running back rotation. And I think you said that I don't know if you read it or if they'd said it on the air, but he just kind of picks the running backs kind of arbitrarily. There's not really a set uh, reason for why he puts them in in certain situations. So from what my understanding is, is that he's going with whoever he's got the hot hand at that time, whether it be, um, you know, Corey Grant, Ivory or Fournette. So he's going to put the player in for that package, whoever feels like, uh, you know, he's got the hot hand at that time. Now, what my issue with that is, is that so... If you put Corey Grant in on a crucial third down, you know, um, and because you feel like he's got the, you know, the advantage, but when it comes down to the OC calling a play that's not fit for Corey Grant, there, that there's confusion right there. So that system right there can't even work. Like it, that can't be the right thing that that they were talking about because it doesn't make sense on a third and one for Corey, uh, excuse me, for uh, for Chris Ivory to be in when you obviously have Leonard Fournette who I would trust on a third and one over anybody else on the team right now, our best offensive player isn't on the league or excuse me, isn't on the field in crucial, you know, times in crucial third downs. Another reason why Fournette shouldn't leave the field on third down is because the amount of attention that he gets. These teams are stacking eight, nine in the box and daring us to, to, to get or daring us to throw the ball with Blake. It's remnants of the, of the Gabbert uh, situation. When we had MJD, 
We're going to put nine in the box and dare you to throw it. Actually, actually, you know what? We're going to put 10 in the box and dare you to beat our safety with Reggie Williams and Ernest Wolford. That's what it's, that's really what it's like. That, I mean, that's exactly what it's like right now where teams are like, all right, we know Fournette's going to get the ball when he gets in. There's a very high probability of him getting the ball right now. Nine in the box. Dare us. Dare them to beat us with Marquise Lee and Keelan Cole or Hearns and Keelan Cole. Whatever you know, type of situation you want to put it in. Linebacker, cover Mercedes Lewis. We can see what he's done last week in mismatches. We're going to bet five is going to throw a mismatch ball or... Get your hands up and bat it down at the end of the, at the beginning of the line. I think I heard too from uh, from Mike K, First Coast News, that on thirty five percent of the Jaguars' runs, they are teams are stacking eight in the box or more on thirty five percent of the runs. They're daring you to beat them by, with Blake. They are daring you. If we we chalk it up to a first down, the most this kid's going to throw is maybe 10, 12 yards. Okay, we'll play the field position battle, but we're not going to let Fournette break off a forty five, sixty yard run. We know what he's capable of. We've got plenty of film on him. We know what they're going to do. He's got like the third most touches in the NFL right now as a rookie. Makes sense. So, I mean, just to kind of go over his stats really quick, he had 24 rushes, 86 yards, uh, 3.58 yards per attempt, five targets for four receptions, 59 yards in in the receiving uh, realm, which was pretty cool, uh, 14.75 yards per reception with a touchdown and basically 145 total yards. So great contribution there. But my thing is, I would be curious to look at split stats to see what uh, Blake's performance looks like when uh, Fournette's in the game versus not in the game. But Blake, I mean, do you think it's injury concerns? Like maybe they have him on kind of a pitch count just because of his injury issues in the preseason and in college that I mean what legitimate reason could there be to keep your best playmaker off the field in crucial third down and touchdown situations to me there was zero zero excuse to, to keep barring injury barring a significant injury there was zero excuse to not give him the ball when it was at what first and goal in the six yard line and you're throwing it three straight times at zero excuse for that you give it to your running back you give it to him again and if you need the third down you give it to him again and that's just that that's what they wanted to build this team off of in the offseason. And, and, and Fournette had injury concerns at LSU. We knew that going into the draft. And, and there definitely is an, is an aspect, especially with SEC running backs, to overfeed that he's he's been overworked and you know it's sort of the mileage run out on, on him sooner rather than later and and I just I I sort of buy into the idea that if you draft a guy at the four spot you draft him for that reason you draft him for that reason to get you the touchdown so that you can go home with a win and they for whatever reason I, I know that he was sort of limping off the field uh the the a few plays before that but to me there's still no excuse you put him back out there and you get the win and you come home to Jacksonville and and you have a three and one record versus a 500 record this is this watching them go um, from first down in the six yard line and going three straight passes was worse than them going uh last year with or a couple years ago with uh with Toby Gerhardt and going for it four yes. times and didn't <laughs> even get Toby. It. like two yard Toby got literally two yards and we couldn't even get a touchdown. This is actually worse because seeing and anyone that's actually played football or watched a significant amount of football, you know how hard it is to score on a passing down right there with the six yard line. Your receivers, you know, they, they run out of real estate to run routes. Uh, your quarterback has to make a really quick throw. The defense has such a uh, a quicker response time to uh, to make plays and gamble a little bit, little bit because they know the end zone is there. If you step out of the end zone and your receiver and your first time to touch the ball, that's a penalty. It, your, your quarterback can throw the ball. If you throw a fade route, you throw it un- if you underthrow it, then someone's going to intercept it. And then so now you've got 
your 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 plays are almost cut in a third, and you just gotta run the ball up the B gap, as you say, Corey. Yeah, up the B gap. See, that's we were talking before about uh, the podcast. How I was just kind of telling everybody I wasn't a very big X's and O's person, so I just I now try to use terminology like pulling and B gap and things like that, just because it makes me sound smarter. So. Um, so, uh, and by the way, Toby Gerhardt was probably at Burrito Gallery watching the game with us as well. Oh, he's still, he's still a good guy. <laughs> I don't want to do like a bless his heart, but that, that's kind of yeah. who, uh, who felt very sorry for Paul Puzlesny when he got that crucial unsportsmanlike conduct penalty in overtime, <laughs> because I, I was angry yesterday. And then today when I went back and looked at the clips and saw his face, like he couldn't believe he actually like got in trouble in an important situation. I mean, I, I legitimately felt deep empathy for him after rewatching it. I mean, I didn't feel bad for him. I mean, that's what happens when you try to crack back a brick wall. I mean, it was a cheap shot that he was going after. And after all, my boy's putting up hurricane shutters out in Marsh Landing right now, so Paul Plesny can get mad at whoever he wants. Yeah, well, uh, that doesn't uh, take away the penalty, but sure. So, yeah, good stuff. Uh, the defense, uh, so one thing we kind of keyed in on, and I take particular credit for this, is that in the last episode we had talked about how weird it was that the Jaguars' defense, uh, I think at the time, and I'd have to look and see uh, where they're ranked now, but at the time they were ranked second behind Carolina and uh, first in pass defense, but I think uh, 29th or 30th and run defense, which just seemed kind of like an odd uh, differential. Um, so in that particular game, the Jets game, they allowed over 240 rushing yards, nine yards per carry. So, you know, honestly, JK3, I'll, I'll start with you. It almost seems like the run defense is actually not good. It is terrible. They're getting uh, pushed off the ball. And I don't understand this. Uh, maybe it's because with in pass blocking and pass situations, the offensive linemen are standing up and, you know, our defensive line is just, so, you know, have a really good bull rush. So you've got, you know, Calais and Malik can bull rush up front and then Yannick and uh, uh, Dante can kind of close in on that. But when it comes to getting pushed off the ball and gaps and separations or lanes and alleys when it comes to running the ball, they're just getting beat off the ball and getting pushed. There, There's no um, there, there's no resistance at all going downfield when it comes to a run play they're kind of running with the motion and the running backs are either finding cutback lanes or finding decent yardage maybe three four yards a pop you think about it if, if, an, if a running back's averaging at least three yards a carry three times three everyone at home nine so i mean it's uh th that's nine yards right there you know what i mean so and then all of it takes is a, just a, a quick bootleg or another play and that's an instant first down yeah blaze so i mean what are your thoughts on that i mean people keep in and jalen ramsey specifically uh said uh last week i don't know if he said it again this week but that we had the best defense in the nfl and to me it seems difficult to have the best defense in the nfl if you have the worst rush defense i, I I kind of I, I love that about Jalen though I think it's just his is I don't want to call it overconfidence but it is his his confidence level that I think sort of seeps into the the mindset of the rest of the team but at the same regard it, let, let's wait a little while you know let, let's wait till halfway through the season before you start calling yourself the the best defense in the league and and let's see let your play speak for itself and I know that it was it was what two or three plays in in yesterday's game that really were a chunk of the, the majority of the rushing yardage um, and I want to say that that was the case too in the second half for the Titans game I just don't know and, and maybe JK you can you can clarify this a little bit but what is the difference 
difference between the, the, the Titans and the Jets approach to the game plan yesterday versus the Texans and the Ravens? Why I, I just the lopsided victory in the first the lopsided victories or defeats in the first three games, it just it boggles my mind that the same sort of similar approach would be applied in the Titans as it was yesterday's game. Difference is the offensive line and capable running backs. You think about who's running the ball right now uh, for Houston, who's running the ball for Baltimore versus DeMarco Murray and um, Marcus Mariota. And their their offensive line is probably either the second or third best offensive line uh, in in the league. And then as far as yesterday goes, the Jets have they don't have a you know a bunch of scrubs on their offensive line either. You got Beecham who wasn't bad uh, here in Jacksonville. As whatever what, contrary to what everyone says, everyone thought the offensive line was the issue last year. Absolutely not. We promoted the offensive line coach to head coach. Mm-hmm. So come on, you, it wasn't it wasn't the offensive line that was the issue. So and then you've got uh, you know Powell as well, and then um, I forget the the rookie. I think he was running behind the ball uh, yesterday. Also, there was just a constant motion and constant just offensive line push, and I think that's what the defense or the uh, the difference was between both is mediocre into good offensive line getting push and uh, getting that separation. So it wasn't a case of like in the Titans game where they sort of, you know, the, a lot of people said that they just gave up and they just started, well, not necessarily gave up, but they just started not playing to the to the level that we have become accustomed to in the first few weeks of the season. Oh, no, I, I think they, they, they legitimately got pushed off the ball. I mean, you got Lamar, you got Lamar Miller running for, for, for Houston. And then uh, the uh, Ravens running back is, uh, let me look at it really quick. I forget who it is. Yeah, I can't even think who it is even, even right now uh Terrence Terrence West who <laughs> exactly so you got the you know these two guys running the ball who are you know they're in the NFL granted so they've got to have uh you know athletic bone in their body but the offensive line the, the guys up front that are moving trucks in the offseason and you know and getting getting pushed off the ball that's what's killing the the defensive lineman right now I mean you look at the the Jets like I said they have a very above average offensive line right now and a capable running back as in um Bilal Powell uh Bilal Powell is that how you say it I think so and then verse DeMarco Murray Derek Henry and Mariota I mean come on I mean it's just um you got to take that and expect to see the same thing from Pittsburgh especially this week you got two very good running backs that are coming or that we're going to see expect the same thing I'm Expect the same exact thing, especially since we put stuff on tape for Mike Tomlin to go ahead and take a look at. Expect the same thing. Heavy run. I'm calling it now. Well, good news is Saxonville is still a thing. So if you bought that T-shirt, you're good to go. Um, they had four sacks in the game, which was super exciting. The Miles Jack 81-yard touchdown was uh, super, super crazy. That was really good. And then finally, Dante Fowler, second forced fumble of the season at the end of regulation on McCown. So uh, some uh, good stuff from Fowler this year. So a little bit of optimism uh, when when that comes uh when it comes to him. So uh, the other key plays, what would you guys think about that Jets fake punt? I thought that was hilarious. It's just such a jet thing to do and i say this a couple weeks after we did the same thing so or a week after we did the same thing and i was actually watching the game with with a bunch of friends and and there we had one jets fan there and he was so obnoxious especially after this play so it would just put a, a really i'm gritting my teeth as i'm saying this it just put a really bad taste in my mouth yeah that was uh that should have been a tackle though honestly that 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 should have um that should have been a tackle out there. I, I don't. I don't recall who was in coverage, but 
Um, that's what happens when you when you when you run a fake punt when we're up like what thirty seven against Baltimore. I mean, you, you can't you can't get mad when teams do it against you. And of course, uh, Nortman had a good game, and you know that doesn't usually say a lot if you're talking about the punter as one of the best players. But that's okay. So congrats to him. Um, and then you mentioned the Aurelius Ben penalty on the Fournette uh, touchdown run, which was uh, super disappointing. One uh, that kind of wraps up the Jags Jets game. Uh, of course, we do kind of want to hear your guys' thoughts as well. So if you have any kind of funny comments or opinions, be sure to either tweet them at us, send them on Facebook, or email us at Down by the Bank at gmail.com because we'll be recording again probably Wednesday or Thursday uh, to talk the Steelers game. Um, So definitely send those thoughts over. We'll share them. Usually you guys have some pretty funny stuff. Uh, One positive note as well outside the Jags game that that came to pass was Deshaun Watson's basic just destruction of the Tennessee Titans, which was super exciting. Um, you know, initially when we saw Watson in that first game, and, and of course some of the people saying that he's not necessarily an NFL talent, um, Blythe, I'll start with you. Do you think Watson's going to be a guy that maybe we all kind of downplayed a little bit after that that second half that he played against us, but then and realistically, I guess, will continue to be a foe of the Jaguars for a year to come? I mean, I hope not. I, it, it, I really loved Deshaun Watson before the draft. And then post-draft, I think everybody's, especially Jaguars' opinions, sort of just changed on Deshaun in, in, in hopes that he wouldn't turn out to be the quarterback that we saw at Clemson. And... I think it's still too early to tell on on, on Watson, but he is he, he's a guy that has has sort of made all the right moves. He's donating his checks to to Hurricane Harvey relief victims. He's he's giving the I think that I saw a gift yesterday where the water boy came out and gave him some water, and he in turn gave the water boy some water. And so it's just like good guy Watson, and you just don't want to see that just yet. But I I, I I'm not buying into that he's going to be. I, I'm not buying into any quarterback under Bill O'Brien as, as turning into sort of an elite level star. I, I, I think that he definitely has shown that he has the skills to be a serviceable quarterback in this league. I mean, obviously he just dismantled the Titans, uh, but in, in that regard, it's still the AFC South. It's still one of the worst divisions in all of football. And and I, I, I want to see more out of him before I'm ready to sort of declare him as the, the, the next great thing. Well, one of the good things that you mentioned that you didn't mention that he's doing is hanging out with Mia Khalifa. So uh, that that should be a good thing for him. <laughs> Maybe Wait, a distraction. Is that true? Is he really? Oh yeah, yeah. From from the looks of Twitter, and they don't they say don't believe everything you see on the internet. But I see a lot of them on the internet together and on Twitter. So uh, we'll see where that goes. That's a little strange, considering how much of an FSU like fan she is. Well, you can't beat them. Join them. <laughs> <laughs> literally and figuratively yeah yeah literally and figuratively so and none of the young people uh google that name okay good all right um so now we will kind of transition now that we've uh, kind of wrapped up that game and you know obviously we're looking forward to just a, a clean slate and i guess it is with the steelers game it is kind of a clean slate at two and two so you know it could be worse but um uh, blythe one of the reasons we had wanted to have you on is just again uh you've kind of uh, grown your presence in the jaguars community and and you know you're on 10 10 xl quite a bit lately and kind of have a big fan base so when it comes to you as a jaguars fan um tell us a little bit about the history behind that when did you become a fan and why and, and all that good stuff sure so i was born and raised in jacksonville so i've grown up with the with the team and 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 with the city i'm you know at the part of the i guess the the, the generation jaguar as they call it um with the the you know the, 
I think I was 10 or 11 years old when, when Jacksonville got the team. So yeah, I've been a fan since its inception. Uh, my dad moved down here in the early eighties and he became, he was still, you know, just a regular like baseball fan, NBA fan, that sort of thing. And so I grew up watching sports with my dad, but it wasn't until we got a football team that we actually started going to games and, and it became a significant part of my life. I, there, there was a handful of years where I didn't live in Jacksonville, but I would still drive back for all of the games. Uh, it was a lot of driving, um, but I just felt like it was sort of, I guess, my responsibility as a fan to, to go to the games and support the team. And especially during the, the, the later Weaver years when... You know, there were rumors that we were going to lose the team and that our fans didn't step up. Uh, I think my team, Teal, was born that year, and that was sort of the the, the predecessor to to fan groups like Bold City Brigade and Teal Street Hooligans. And and I was a, a, I, a hugely passionate about my team, Teal, and, and it still remains so about the other guys as well. Um, but I remember that being the first moment that it was like, oh, my God, we actually could lose this team if we don't step up. And so that was really when the the my fanhood took on another level. So I, I mentioned earlier also for for everyone, and I don't want to you know date my age or anything, but if you know Lex and Terry, uh, you know Blythe is, was mentioned on there, uh, you know previously. So since your presence has continually grown over the years, you know, and now that you're you know a prestigious member of the local Jaguars media oh, and, and and respected a stroke. Uh, what was your what was your plan always, you know, growing up? Like or were you trying to always be in this kind of role or did it sort of just organically happen? It, it, it organically happened. I never thought of myself as someone being comfortable, you know, enough to go on the radio, enough to to go on TV, uh, never any of those things. I've, I've always sort of seen, seen myself as I'm a writer, I'm a business owner, and that's my role, and that's where I want to stay. But I think I stayed in that role for a lot longer. As, as a blogger, I stayed in that role for a lot longer than what I should have because I was sort of afraid to, to try something new and, and to, to get into other uh, realms of the media, I guess, entertainment par- portion of, of the, the landscape that we see nowadays. But when I was working the side hustle with Guys Girl, I had that as like my nighttime job and I still had a regular salary job up until just this past year. And majority of that time has been working in logistics. Well, at one point, the logistics company I was working for abruptly closed down. And it was sort of one of those moments where it's like, okay, well, if I'm going to take this media job seriously, then I need to work in the media world. So I applied with Void Magazine, which is a local company, uh, lifestyle culture magazine here in North Florida. So I applied to to be with them. And they I, I know I, I've I, didn't graduate with a degree in journalism or anything like that, but I had the experience in blogging and they eventually promoted me up to editor in chief role. I stayed on there for a couple years and then I was still working guys girl as, as the side hustle. And then I got word from a coworker in the void building that 1010 was looking to start up a football show co-hosted by all women. And my name was mentioned in the conversation that if you're going to start this up, you absolutely need to call Blythe. And they ended up calling me and I did a couple test runs with the girls on the show and, and just from there became a fixture. And then from there, opportunities, uh, other opportunities arose and, and, and allowed me the chance to, to get on camera talking about the Jaguars, which is a whole new world of nervousness 
and and handshakes and you know sweaty palms and just you know can't sleep the night before because you're so nervous about screwing up um, but it's been sort of a blessing in disguise because it's almost like forced me into these uncomfortable roles that I, I said I would never do so you know based on the the path that you've taken and how successful you've been I mean what advice would you give people especially younger people listening um, when it comes to growing a career and what you love and, and also your ability to multitask because you handle a bunch of different projects, it seems, at the same time. Yeah, I would say a good project management software. Shout out to DePulse because they keep me sane. It's It, it keeps all of my, my not only my projects, but... Uh, projects for my clients as well. But I would say to anyone who's looking to to break into this world is that you have or this media world of, of, of covering your passion for a living is you have to be a multi tool player, you have to be able to know different aspects of the job you're going to be going to be doing. And that's writing that's publishing, that's from a marketing perspective. Uh, so search engine optimization, uh, email marketing, you have to be able to be comfortable talking into a microphone, you have to be comfortable talking into a camera, even if that camera is a camera on your phone, you, you have to be able to adapt to survive. And what I think I see, I, what I kind of see a lot is that people who have been so stuck in, in the blogging world, they don't know how to make that next leap or they're too scared to. So bloggers that I started out with in the early days of like 2007, 2008, they, they've since, they, they, they don't write anymore. They haven't made anything of it. And they just, you know, they, they stick in their normal corporate job. But if you want to make it in this media world, you have to be able to hustle because you are you are competing for attention, and you're not just competing for attention in your 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 local arenas. You're uh, you're competing for attention on a worldwide scale. So the Kim Kardashians of the world, the 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 Tim Cooks of the world, you're competing with them for attention, and we live in an attention based economy. And how can you take your passion and your skill set and get your message out there in a way? that is going to resonate with your audience. And I think that a little... I, I guess that's a long way of saying is that you have to be honest, you have to be authentic, and you have to be consistent. And you have to be able to do all of those three things while knowing the general landscape of what is digital media in today's world. Uh, side note, I am a huge Kim K fan. So I appreciate you uh, bringing that up. <laughs> um, I'm a fan of hers as well. And, and I know that sort of you say that nowadays, and people are like, Oh, how could you like them? But I think they're despite being born to rich parents, they're, they're somewhat uh, self-made. It's very weird because Kanye is my favorite rapper and Kim is like my dream girl. So it's weird. It's like my brother's dating my, my the, the hot neighbor down the street that I'm really mad at. But that's another conversation. <laughs> so um, with the current, uh, you know, Jacksonville community right now, and you mentioned earlier the Teal Street Hooligans, Bold City Brigades, um, you know, where do you think the Jacksonville community and the Jaguars are going to be in the next 15 to 20 years? I think that it, it the it's sort of a, a two-pronged approach because what you have is you have a, a, a really great owner. We really are super incredibly lucky to have Shot Khan as, as the owner of the Jaguars because otherwise if we had, you know, say a, a Kroenke or a Spanos, this team would have already been moved. And, and what we have with Khan is that he's not only 
trying to make the Jaguars better on the field. He's doing what he can. He, he's doing what he, he possibly can to turn Everbank Field and that surrounding area into a destination, not only for, for football fans like us, for diehard fans, but he's also trying to turn it into a destination for casual fans and out-of-town fans. And I think that the out-of-town market is the place where the NFL as a whole is is trying to, to grow as a brand. You, you see these teams, two teams moving to Los Angeles. You see the Raiders moving to Vegas. You, you, you see the, the sort of stadium issues that they talk about in, in Miami and Tampa and, and across the league. And, and uh, what you sort of the, the commonality in that is that these places and these areas all have other things to do if their football team stinks. So I think what the NFL as a whole is trying to do is trying to entice that casual fan and trying to entice away fans to visit their stadium. And so I think that that is going to be a, uh, I know it sucks for a lot of the diehard Jaguar fans, but I think that we're going to increasingly see Jacksonville as an away team destination for, for other fan bases because we have the weather, we have the hotels, we have Daly's Place that's now open and open offering up concerts for the night before games. And, and you have them as sort of like the city and the organization trying to make downtown Jacksonville a destination. And so I think that we're going to see a growing entertainment sector for, for the Everbank area in and of itself. But then I also think that you're going to see more of the diehard fans move from the stadium and into their own viewing experiences at home or at a local bar or restaurant. I think that's just sort of the way the NFL is going anyways, right? The, the, the viewing experience at home is so good and, and it's tough to match that at the stadium. So at the stadium, I, I, I think that they're going to have to make either significant upgrades to, and this is not, not necessarily upgrades, but I think that they're going to have to appeal to the fans within the stands in order to make attending a live game a must attend attraction and I don't know that it's there yet but I think that that's where the NFL is going to be moving here in the next 10 to 15 years I think you're going to see more targets towards the casual fans more targets towards away fans and then trying to entice that in stadium experience possibly you know with like some NASCAR type headsets where you can listen in on you know the on the field chatter or or, or something along those lines where where it makes the the in game the live game viewing experience significantly better than the at home viewing with regards to interactions with the actual Jaguars organization, and I can say that we've actually been pretty fortunate. Like we've had one or two, uh, actually two, I guess, guests from the organization, uh, Tad and, and Hussein. And, and it's really cool, honestly, because we're literally nobodies. I mean, if you Google down by the bank, the top result is still down by the banks of the hanky panky, which is apparently a ch- children's <laughs> song or something. So, uh, where the bullfrogs, where the bullfrogs jump from the bank to bank. Uh, we're still, I mean, we're like fifth, I think now, which is pretty exciting. But um, my ten-year-old looks at looks at it for me and keeps me up to date. But um, you know, so we've been fortunate enough, and they've been really great with us. But you know, with you now, especially um, you know, being on Tenton XL and having a lot more uh, say, you know, how would you describe the interactions you've had with the Jags organization and uh, just generally how receptive they've been, uh, you know, working with you from a media perspective? Well, see, I'm a little bit different in that I'm not. 
I, I like to be that, you know, the, the tagline for guys, girls, the voice for the female fan. I like the fan experience. I, I've always been the person that said, you know, I'm not going to work on game day. And then 1010 finally talked me into doing it. And I, I'm on the kickoff show now for pregames from, you know, five hours before kickoff. So if it's a 1 p.m. kickoff, then I'm on from 8 to 10 a.m. But after 10 a.m., I'm done because then I get to go experience the, the experience the Jaguars as a fan. And and I think that with my experience, I'm never going to be a traditional member of the media that sits in the press box and 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 goes to the the, the team to do, you know, in locker room interviews. I'm more of a I, I like to experience it as a fan because I feel like I'm the voice for that fan base. And 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 I I know I don't speak for everyone, but I like to be able to because I think what you see in, in, in a lot of today's media world is that when they work for one entity or another, they seem to stick with that entity and regurgitate the same opinion over and over again. And and what I like from my perspective is that I'm free to talk to any any media entity that I want to as an independent contractor. And so I can talk to any of these different media entities. I can get perspective from outside sources, and then I can use that to gather an opinion and then express that opinion. And I know that sometimes it doesn't always go over well with the Jaguars because I'm sort of seen as that blogger girl. But I'm also I, I, I stand by everything that I say. So it's been it's been challenging at times to work with them. But then it, there's also been times where they've reached out to me in particular to offer me a platform for the for the audience for for guys girl and so to reach out to that female fan base and and that's what I think is a little bit different with the Jaguars than any other fan base in the country is that they have these local relationships with different sectors of the media. So they have relationships within the Bold City Brigade. They have relationships with with different bloggers and I know that you know, they, they obviously they have the relationship with 1010 and various news stations around. And, and I think that it's a it's a growing it's a process, but um, it, it's not necessarily it, it, it can't be the easiest job for them to constantly hear about how bad of a job the organization is from the on the field perspective. And I think that sometimes they might take it a little personally whenever you're critiquing the team, but it's 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 all out of love. We wouldn't complain as you know, people within the media circles around here, we wouldn't complain and we wouldn't bitch about this team all the time if we didn't really care about the team and if we didn't care about the city as a whole. So it comes from a good place, but sometimes you just got to get through a, a, a couple barriers of a, of a bad opinion. Yeah, I, I hear you. You know, it's that, that common thing, like when you're talking to like your dog when you or something or, or your kid, I will not to put a kid like an animal, but... <laughs> <laughs> But you, you scold them and you get mad at them because you want them to be so good. And, and, and it sucks when they're not. So, um, um, you know, lastly, uh, Blythe, you, you know, and I, we appreciate your time. And thank you very much for sharing your thoughts on the team. Um, you've been, you know, photoed around with, with Khan a, a couple of times at some of the events. You know, what's he like in person? And, and uh, have you been on the Kessimit before? 
I have not. I have tried to. I've tried to commission for for that to happen, but I have a very. Um, I'm very low on the totem pole as far as media members or, or people within the Jaguars organization or or Jaguars community that would be invited to to something like that. I would love it. I've been I've been fortunate enough to to meet him a couple times. Once for a story in our, our cover story actually in Void Magazine a couple years ago. It, it, the the cover that went viral with Khan wearing the Hawaiian shirt and all and um so I was lucky enough to meet him then and that was the the first time I had ever you know shook his hand and 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 asked him a few questions and that was probably the most nervous I've ever been in my life um but he was he's always been super cool and he will he'll ask you about you know your own business and you know profit and losses and, and and he'll remember it even years later he'll remember those conversations that you had and that's almost more surprising to me than anything else because I'm sure he just meets a ton of people all the time but he's incredibly personable and I think that it's sort of his the 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 way he grew up you know he didn't he didn't i think everybody knows his story but he didn't grow up with money he worked his ass off in order to get to where he is today and i think that he is is sort of more relatable because of that so in in every instance that i've been lucky enough to meet him he's been the nicest friendliest and just down to earth cool guy like he will sit off to the side and have a conversation with you but he's just happens to be worth several billion dollars well uh blythe just to kind of echo jake K3's uh, thoughts. We again appreciate you taking the time. You know, as we mentioned earlier, you're obviously super, super busy. So for you to take the time to do this is really awesome. And uh, we really, really, really appreciate it. Thank you guys for having me. I've really been enjoying the podcast. I just started listening a few weeks ago when you guys became official with with Big Cat Country. And and it's been a must listen for me ever since. Awesome. Thank you. We really appreciate it. All right. Well, we will talk to you guys next time.